Uh, I am so sorry I missed last week. How about my friends? Uh, we, always, we, we always say we don't have connections. We have friends, and we have many, and they're mighty. Orvon, good to see you again, man. You are, it's been a while for some... I know you've been here, but good to see you, Orvon. And so um, uh, Fabian and Carol, Carol, Carol Peliquin was here, and so, who now is Carol Gretsch, and they have been in Iraq for about a decade and a half. And I would talk with them, and they, they, they said that, you know, like some of the cities right next to them were being taken by ISIS, and they were just going about doing ministry there. That guy, doesn't he strike you as somebody who's like, he's not worried about his life? He's just worried about sharing Jesus Christ. And it was just so powerful. If, if you did not see that service, you absolutely need to, you need to look it up there. Hey, I have a special friend of mine who's here with his wife, Will Whiting and Tammy. Are you, where are you? Right there. Just, if you would just stand up real quick, I'm going to do it to you. This is like one of my dearest and oldest friends. He was in my wedding party, and uh, man, it's just so good to have you. Could you welcome him? Thanks, guy. I love you, laddie. Um, he is great great to have him have both of them here today and they're coming over my house afterwards and can't wait can't wait love you love you so we are talking just this next four weeks on the whole purpose of our church and a lot of people you know what's your vision what are you about it's simple we really believe that the great command the great commission is distilled down to four things and they're really simple we want to help you know god because God wants you to know who he is. Second thing, we want to help you come to find freedom. Here's what I've learned about freedom. It's not, discovering God can be a vertical thing. You can have a prayer with God alone, but finding freedom is horizontal. And I tend to find that when we isolate our life, that's when we get into some challenging situations. So God's saying, listen, know me, but if you're going to find freedom, you got to do that together. Friends like Will and other people in my life, you know what they have permission to do? They come up to me at different times in my life, and they say, hey, you know what your problem is? What do you mean what my problem is? Who do you think you are? Yeah, you got a problem, and I'm going to tell you about it because I care too much about you to let you stay the same. Anybody got friends like that? If you don't, you need them. Um, especially if you're narcissistic. <laughs> they just help you with that kind of stuff. And so we not only want you to know God, but find freedom, have people in your life that are not only there to get in your face, but to get uh, a, under your arms and lift you up and pick you up because the Bible says two are better than one. And a quarter of three stands, strands is not easily broken. You know what you call that? A small group. And that is where people come around your life and say, yeah, yep, it's not as, gr as great as you thought it was, but it's not as bad as you think it is either. And let me pray for you. Let me help you. Let me be there with you. And so today, I really want to just share one verse for you and unpack this a little bit and then take you through this first step of knowing God. But I want you to see that the Christian walk is something that it, it, that metaphor really sums it up. It's really a walk with God. Now, I could walk where I want to. I could walk in bad directions, but when you walk with God, you tend to find that Jesus didn't say, lead me. He said, follow me. And, and like the owner and the creator of the automobile, Henry Ford said this. He says, those who walk with God reach their destination. And that's the good thing about Jesus is that he comes beside us. Sometimes he carries us. 
And so that's what this is really about. And the verse I want to share with you is found in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. And if you could get that, I'm going to rely on you guys today. So um, let me read it. And I love this version. I think this is the King James. All you King Jamers out there, just say, Ameneth. Ameneth. King James used to say TH after everything. But I, no, no version says it like the King James. It's so beautiful. He says this. I want to know him, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Knowing God, that's what we're talking about today. Pray with me. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would do what I can't that you would speak directly into the hearts and lives of people, into their circumstances, into their needs, into their desires, into their crisis, into their, their joys, into their sorrows, and that you would put within us a thirst and a hunger that Paul had, a desire to know you, not just in the good times and in the miracle and the powerful moments of a resurrection, but more importantly, in the time of sorrows, like your son suffered, the, the, the power of your resurrection, but the fellowship of your suffering. Speak to us on what it is and how we walk into knowing you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This is, this is the crazy thing ab about this passage is that if I just pull that and I throw it at you, it, it's like, okay, whatever. But you gotta, you gotta like, you, whether you're here in person or you're online, you've gotta hear the background to this book and this story. The Apostle Paul was a murderer, and he killed Christians. And in chapter 7 of Acts, in fact, he's the one that sanctions the execution, the, the, the hit on Stephen. And so what happens is, is he's riding on the highway to Damascus Road, and there was a belief that if God was going to speak to you, he'd speak to you in the Holy Land. So there's actually an intentional thing that happens with Paul. And you might, you might know this, you might not know this, but that belief was that he'd only speak in the Holy Land. And when he was on the road to Damascus, Jesus shows up, a light shines around him, and he falls off, and he hears a voice saying, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So it's going to be significant because God is going to use this man who becomes a follower of Christ to take him from being a murderous Christian killing machine into a missionary marvel where he is not going to stay in the church. He's going to go outside of the land of Israel and bring that light and to bring that message to the world. It's a powerful, it's a powerful truth if you, if, when you understand that the thinking in those days was come back to Jerusalem. This is where God speaks to you. And, this is, and it's an incredible experience and we have people in our church who are going to be experiencing that in the near future. But, but I'll tell you what, it's, it's just, it was the way that it was. And Paul wakes up and he's blind. Goes to a house, can't, you know, I don't, he doesn't go, they lead him. And he's kind of just sitting there and he's laying down and he's probably thinking for the rest of his life, like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to see, but I've never seen clearer in my entire life. And there's a man by the name of Agabus, God speaks to him. And guess what? God doesn't just speak in the book of Acts, he speaks to people today, amen? And and he, he felt that God told him to go to this certain house and that Paul would be there and to pray for him to receive his sight. And all of his friends were like, are you crazy? Are you crazy? Every town has one of those people. How many of you know somebody that lives in your town and they just crazy? 
In fact, they're responsible for, for half of the craziness that goes on in that town. But sometimes God does unique things by us just being crazy enough to follow in his steps. And Agabus goes to the house and he calls him, listen to this, he says, Brother Saul. He calls him brother, prays for him. And the Bible says what seemed like uh, scales fell from his eyes and he saw. And from that moment forward, Paul was never the same again. He dedicated his life and risked his life to share the gospel like no one else. Just like our speaker last week. He wasn't worried about his life. In fact, in one point, Paul's bragging and he's saying, I've been beaten, I've been whipped, I've been tortured, I've been, I've been flogged, I've been beaten up with clubs. And, and so he shows up at this place called Philippi, and it's a completely Gentile city. There's no Jews, they speak Latin there, they don't speak Greek, they don't speak Hebrew. And he goes outside of the city and he's like, God, I know that you brought me here for a purpose, just lead me to people. And outside of the city, there are a couple of ladies praying there, and one of them's named Lydia, and they're praying outside the gate because if you didn't have a certain number of people, you couldn't have a church, you couldn't have a synagogue. So this place was so Christless, so empty, so godless, they couldn't even have a church building because they didn't have enough people. And, he, and so he says, hey, is it okay if we pray? And, and so they're, they're praying, God, do something, use us. As they're walking down the street, there's a girl that the Bible says was filled with a demonic spirit, and she would tell fortunes, and she would speak into the future of people and, and made money. There was, she was basically a trafficked human being, and they used her to tell fortunes. And the Apostle Paul turned around, and I don't know if you've ever tried this, but you should do this to your boss the next time that they're coming down hard on you. He says, in the name of Jesus, demon, come out. <laughs> How many of you would say, my boss is demon-possessed? Don't one of your staff, my staff members, raise your hand right now. Don't you dare. In the name of Jesus, he goes, come out. The Bible says that she was set free. And can I tell you, the demonic is very real in the world that we live in. In America, it wears a three-piece suit and takes in a six- and seven-digit figure. But it's very, very real. I also have come to realize that sometimes the devil doesn't need to do much because people can just be downright wicked and evil. But he casts out the demon out of this girl, and they're angry at him, and so they say, this guy's bringing Jewish customs into our Roman world. They arrest him, they beat him, and they throw him in prison. I mean, when I'm talking beating, I, when I say beating, I don't know if you had the same kind of older brother I had. But when I'm talking beating, I'm talking like his lip is split. His eye can't open. His jaw is like drools coming out of it. Have you ever had one of those kind of beatings, right? I mean, it's, 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 so I had one of those moments yesterday. I went to Kittery Outlet, and I was there, and, and man, I just, those, those sugar-coated cashews were calling my name, right? And so I put them in, and as I'm chewing, all of a sudden I hear, and this pain shoots up. And I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. I literally split one of my teeth down the middle. Now, here's the terrible thing. You know how doctors and dentists say, if this is an emergency, the doctor on call called, dun, dun. I called three dentist's office, and nobody was returning my call. Labor Day weekend. 
So luckily, I called up Cheryl Donahoe, who works at a, uh, I don't even know if you hear Cheryl, but she works at a, a dentist's office, and she called up her doctor. I ended up finding a place that was open. They took me in there, like, the tooth is gone. You're gonna, we're going to have to remove it, but the nerve is exposed, so we're going to cover it. And uh, I'm only flying on ibuprofen right now, but it's, it's pretty painful. Since my past is so tough. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my wife's a firstborn, so sympathy goes nowhere. She's like, suck it up and be a man, go to work. Here I am, honey. But what I'm trying to share with you is this, is, is after they beat Paul, probably knocked out some teeth, probably couldn't see out of his eye. I mean, if you've ever gotten hit real hard, you know those kind of hits need stitches. He's covered in blood. They throw him, and it says they threw them in the darkest part of the prison, shackled them. And you know what he does? He turns to Silas and he says, let's have a worship service. And they start singing. How many of you ever did that? Last time you got beat up, you're like, hey man, thanks so much. <laughs> In Christ alone. My, yeah, I mean, like, that just like doesn't make any sense unless you know God. See, Paul, when he goes in there, he goes, I want to know, I want to know him, not just in the power of his resurrection. And when I tell you I know what the power of the resurrection looks like, I watched a friend that was in a wheelchair, Deb Griffin, get pulled out of it. I watched somebody and know of someone in our church who had like stage two, stage three breast cancer. We prayed for that person. They went back to the doctor. They said, we saw it. It was here, but it's gone, and we don't know how to explain it. And I was like, I do. The power of the resurrection. A power that the Bible says will one day pull you and me out of our graves. I am so glad at the fact that you and I do not just have Jesus for this life like Tylenol to take the edge off of things, but one day God is going to set the universe straight. And we'll be with him forever. Paul didn't just want to know God as the power of his resurrection. He wanted to know when the suffering comes, how do I walk out my walk in that time? See, some of us, Jesus is the Lord of our, of our celebrations and the deliverer, but how many of you know him as your friend in your Gethsemane? That literally means the olive press. Like when you're getting squeezed. You see, we always, you know that, come on, just, just, Help me out here. God is good. And all the time. Life is good. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. No, life is not good. But that doesn't mean that God's the author of that. And God doesn't say, I will give you good in all situations. No, no, no. He says, I work all things out for good for those that love me and are called according to his purpose. And that calling involves us getting called into knowing him. And really, it means that we're taking a step of faith. One of the most beautiful moments for me was when my, both of my boys were born. I was there. I wasn't in the lobby with cigars, handing them out to friends. I was there when, uh, when both Ethan and Andrew were born. But uh, watching them take their first steps, that's just like... When they did it on their own, it was just, it was just, I don't know, when, when they're infants, that's definitely mom time, but when they start walking around and you can teach them fresh words, that's dad time, <laughs> right? 
And so, but it was such a beautiful experience. And I think when God looks at us, he says, that's my son, that's my daughter. Imagine if we just took our first steps and then chose we're never gonna walk again for the rest of our life, right? That's called a 40-year-old in the basement playing video games, right? Like, but in order, the whole purpose of life is, is that once we learn to walk, we continue to walk. And I just want you to reflect back here, especially those of you that are newer moms and dads, to first steps, and that's really where I want to start unpacking a bit here of this, how do we know God, how do we know what steps to take? Take a look at this video real quick. Let's go back to that little place where we used to go in the summer days. The lodge by the water still my favorite place and I could come every year and it wouldn't change. those days but I also actually just said recently and I know one of my sons is here I think the other one was here in first service but I love my life right now with my sons grown up and mature and we're having we're able to laugh and talk and um, they can cut the grass and (laughs) in Judaism they have a thing called halakha it's a teaching It's one of the two big teachings in Judaism, and it literally translates the way of walking. Look at this verse in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. It says that Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, we all instantly rush into, that's the fall of mankind, but think about before everything went to pot, before everything fell apart, Adam walked with God. He walked with God. Before there was a title of Christian or Jew, before there was a title of prayer warrior, before there was a title of pastor or deacon or elder or worship leader, before there were any of the, or usher or greeter or anything, there were those who walked with God. I want that title for my life. I want to walk with God. I want to know what it is to not only walk with him, but to keep in step with him, because those who walk with God reach their destination. In fact, D.L. Moody said that if I walk with God, I can't walk with the world. And that backs up what Galatians says when Paul wrote, walk in the spirit and you will not carry out 
the desires of the flesh. The problem is, is the problems in our life are problems because most likely we're not keeping in step with God. We're not walking with him. We're kind of walking with him when we need him, and then we kind of walk towards what we want when we want it, and then we walk back to him when we need him, and then we walk after what we got, and then all of a sudden it's like, why can't I get peace in my life? Why can't I work this out? Why do I got to hang up habits and, and all these things? And, and the, thing, the truth is, is that we're partially walking near God, and we get close to him in our crisis, but we don't know what it's like to journey with him. And if you know God, you want to be near him. I love how Leonard Ravenhill put it. He said, smart men walked on the moon, daring men walked on the ocean floor, but wise people walk with God. Why would it be wise to follow God? Well, have you ever looked at your problems up closely? Have you ever found a moment where you could look at your situation, your internal problems that you've created and say, Man, I, I, that, that, that had nothing, I had no participation in that whatsoever. Deuteronomy reads like this. It says, observe the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways, by fearing him. There are men and women greater than me, greater than you, greater than us, who have walked through fire and difficulty because their fear of God was greater than their fear of hurt or problems, or pain, or acceptance. I love how 1 Peter 2.21 reads, and this really, the whole idea of following God, Jesus recaps it again, and he says, for you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. How do you know God? You know God because you walk with him. It means that there are steps to be taken, one step at a time. Do you guys remember the old claymation ones? Anybody over the age of 35 will know what I'm talking about. The rest of you just flow with it and smile and laugh and pretend like you know what I'm saying. But they had the guy where he didn't walk and they're like, put one foot in front of the... How about, what about Bob? Baby steps to the pulpit. Baby steps to the pulpit. If you've never seen What About Bob, you got to do it. But you got to take steps, right? Remember that craze that was going on, step team? <laughs> I can't stop stepping. Maybe you should, Pastor. And we want to help you and continue to help you to walk with God. But in order to do that, you got to follow. You got to follow him. You got to follow his lead. Look at, look at the purposes of our church here are really simple to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We really believe that every single one of you, there's no fingerprints the same, there's no snowflake alike. Every one of you has been gifted in a certain way so that you could be a blessing, that you could change the world. And the real change happens is, is when you discover how God has shaped you and made you, and then you begin to put that to work for for God's glory and God's honor, that knowing God but finding freedom by knowing other people, by discovering purpose, everybody has a gift. I don't care how insecure you feel, how insignificant you feel, every single one of you in this room, online, watching us, you have a gift God has given you, and gifts are made to be given away to the world around you. But the problem is, is that human nature tends to be very self-centered, very... Uh, self-fulfilling. And some people walk through life, and if you were to ask them this mantra, it would really read like this. Know me. My purpose in life is to get you to know me, find pleasure, discover fame, and make a dollar. If you are the biggest thing in your world, what a small world that is. 
See, we want you to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. There's a whole bunch of things that I just don't have time, but in your handout that you got here and line, if it's probably posted in there, there are tons of, my question to you would be, what's your next step? If you're here and you're in this church, it doesn't matter if you've been here for uh, 10 years like Vivian, or you've been here for 10 minutes this morning, every single one of you has a next step to take. Sundays, services, you're here, and you know, to, uh, on 9 o'clock, we have our next class. Can I say this to you? I don't care if you've been here for 10 or 20 years. You should sign up for next, starting next week. It's only four weeks, and it will totally show you. We're not the same church. We've got great things happening, and that's a great place where you get to, to do some tests, and you, you get to meet people. It's a great, great time. Then if you're here for the first time, please fill out that, that connection card. We want to give it to all the mortgage companies across the country and all the car dealerships around the world. No, of course not. We want to let you know what God is doing and what, what God could do for you. There are things that, that we have that are planned that, that would really be something you'd be like, wow, that might be something good for us to check out and do. Not only that, but baptism. At the end of this month, the last Sunday in the month, the 26th, we're baptizing people. Jesus said this, what Peter, or Peter said this on behalf of Jesus, when he began to preach the gospel and people were cut to the heart, they, they said to him, they said, what are we supposed to do? What are we going to, what do we have to do? What's our next step? He said, it's really simple. Repent and be baptized. I don't, I don't get, I, I mean, I get it because it's like the womb of the world, like you're being born again. But here's the thing. There are some of you that have come to Christ maybe years ago, but you've never been baptized. That's, that's like God saying to you, it's time to take the splash. I don't know. I think it was God's way of getting a good laugh. He says, you know what? These people have caused me a lot of pain. And uh, I'm going to just, like, do something. How about I have them, like, when they profess me as Lord, they, like, get soaking wet, and I just, and then all heaven's rejoicing, and Jesus is up there going, did it do another one? Did it do another one? How's it feel being cold? Yep. <laughs> I don't think that's it. You know what? It's a picture. To, it's an outward expression of an inner experience. It's saying, I believe in Christ. I believe in what God did. I believe it with all of my heart, soul, mind, strength. I'm dedicating my life to it, and I want you to watch this. I'm making myself accountable. Help me be that person that God's calling me to be. And, and it's, it's a command. So if you've never been baptized, you put your faith in Christ, you've said that prayer, you've, you've prayed it online, it, this, this is the time for you to reach out to us. There's uh, obviously church services, but then look at this other stuff. Pray with somebody. My goodness, if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ and you're like, I just don't even know, or you've got problems and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to face this. You come forward. We'll pray for you at the end of service and God will do, God does more miracles here than any place I know. And then small groups. You know what? It is important for you to have other people in your life. Uh, some great ones that are going on, divorce care, grief share. We've, you, you experienced a divorce a decade ago or a day ago. There's pieces that need to be put back together. We've got some qualified, awesome people that are doing those classes with grief share, people who have lost massive amounts of heartache in their, in their lives, and they put the pieces back together. We've got um, small groups for men. I mean, all those things are online. If you go to Lola G, you look at Next Step Small Groups, it'll pop up, and if one of those interests you, you should do it. And then, of course, we call it the dream team. Same thing. Serve. We, there is so much, there is more need than there are people for ushers, greeters, security people. My goodness, security people. Um, I could just go on with security people. Like, we need, we want to be a safe place and keep this place continually safe, and uh, more eyes makes light work. So, uh, you, let me ask you a question. 
If you're here in first service, don't you dare ruin this. All right. True or false? I just took a step. False. All I did was pivot. See that? I had a friend of mine say this to me, to me once. He said, the first, taking a step isn't the first step, it's the second step that moves you forward. I really haven't gone anywhere. I've just done this. And here's the thing, whether you're online or you're here, um, and you've been in the faith for a long period of time, you're really great at dancing. You can even mix it up. But it's not the first, it's the second step. Imagine, again, I say it again, if your kids decided that they learn how to walk and then they stop for the rest of their life. And I think that so many children of God, that's what we do. We're like, well, that doesn't interest me. And you know what? When we walk, Jesus didn't say, lead me. He said, follow me. And you'll see that those, those footsteps lead to a group of people called disciples, other people in, in the life of Christ. And and those footsteps sometimes lead to dark and difficult hours, but we walk towards God, not away from him. And here's the great thing about knowing God. I think the most encouraging thought to start off with is, is that God knows you. It's not just that God wants you to know him. God knows you. Listen to this, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. The word to know in Hebrew can be used in a lot of different ways. In fact, if you've ever, if I've got Jewish friends and I'm like, hey, we need to get to this site before the sun sets, and they'd be like, yada, 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 I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. How many of you ever see that? Yada, yada, yada. That's like saying, I know, I know, I know. But the Hebrew word is much deeper than that. It literally means to know through experiencing something. It's used, Adam knew Eve. It's used in such a way that it can involve the physical senses, that, that you are literally, physically, realistically, fully and totally encountering someone. And here's what God's saying. I knew what it was like. You and I, you guys know what it's like to know your kids before they're born. You talk to mom's belly, Nobody knows like mom, right? Oh my goodness, the kid's got too much of the father in him. You see a hand go. You know, forget the kick, man. When the hand goes across there, it's like, what is this? You talk to your baby. You know your baby before they're born. God says, I knew you before you existed. In fact, Psalm 131 reads, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You knit me in my mother's womb. You know my thoughts before they reach my tongue. All of my days were written in a book before one of them came to be. I'm not using that for a political statement. I'm using it for an intimate statement for your life right here, right now, to say, God knows you better than you know yourself. And he loves you. And he cares for you. And it's not that we loved him first, but John says we love because he first loved us. That's God. You know, it's crazy. There's so many beliefs. It, I, I have some friends. I have one friend that's listed in the top 
100 astrophysicists of the world. And he actually is a lawyer by trade. He did the website See the Glory, it's a great, seetheglory.com. You'll, you'll see pictures on there that are better than the, the, um, the Hubble telescope that are taken there. He's a really interesting guy. But they, when it comes to an atheist is an atheist, right? Like, I don't believe that God exists. Good thing is, is God doesn't believe in atheists. So whether, if you're there, like, some point you look at the world around you, a child being born, the universe, something's got to be out there, and that would make somebody uh, maybe an agnostic. They say, something out there exists, but I don't think you can know what it really is. And then you could be a universalist and say, well, God is whatever he needs to be for you. If that's Krishna, that's it. If that's Muhammad, that's it. Uh, I remember there was a, uh, uh, an imam from a mosque, a rabbi from one of New York's leading uh, synagogues, and then I think it was Tim Keller from uh, Christ the Redeemer Church, and they were debating, and one of the students stood up and said, man, you know, when I listen to you guys, it just sounds like it's all the same, and it wasn't the pastor that stood up, it was the, the imam, the, the, the leader of the mosque, and he said, kid, have you been listening to anything we've been saying up here? And, and we, we are not saying the same thing, and, and that's where Tim Keller got up, and he said, it's true, because out of all of the different beliefs that are here, Jesus is the only one who said that he, he is God and that he rose from the dead. And he began to unpack what Paul said in this verse, the power of the resurrection. Like, forget cancer. Usually, we, the, death has a certain finality to it. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Though you die, yet shall you live. In fact, it is not just that Jesus forgives your sin that makes you a Christian. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's a crazy thought. We focus so much on the blood and the blood, and God washes us continually with that, but the resurrection is, is the heart of the gospel. Jesus didn't just die so that he could just get tomb service. He popped out of the grave, and he said, this is this is to prove to you that I am God, and if you'll follow me, I, and the, the, Jesus, the, the credential of who Jesus is, the resurrection in and of itself merits exclusiveness to who he is. And God turns around and he looks at the universe and all of these ideas, and I love how Neil deGrasse Tyson, he's an astrophysicist that works at the Hayden Planetarium, he's more of an agnostic. He says, there's something out there, I just don't know if we can really know, but this just couldn't have happened by happenstance. But he says it like this, the problem is knowing enough about a subject to think that you're right, but not knowing enough to know that you're wrong. And I think that God has been parodied so much by so many people that know enough about God and the gospel and Jesus to think that they're right to dismiss him, but not know enough about Jesus to know that they're wrong and that he is Lord and he has risen from the dead. I thought you were clapping, but you were slapping a mosquito. But I'll take it anyway, man. <laughs> That's good truth. Amen. Go ahead. This is the point where you guys put your hands together. I'm like, that's good, Pastor. That's good. That's good. To know God through experiencing him. You know, we talked about this, so I don't want to unpack it too deep, but, but in, in the book of Psalms, it says in Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. If you really unpack the translation of it, what God is saying is, would you release the grip of your control 
and let me take over so that you can experience me and know who I am by my work that I do separate from you. That is like the amplified, amplified version. I don't know if Ben Phillips or Dave Hodge are here and they're gonna just beat me up linguistically on this one, but, but that's like the, the New Living translational expansion of amplified. What God is saying is, is be still, stop doing what you're doing. Know that I'm God, experience me. Let, how, how can we experience God if we're in control all the time? It's like God is saying, I wanna step in, I wanna bring a miracle, I wanna do something, but you won't take your hands off the situation, so what can I do? Oh, we don't have any controllers here this morning, do we? No. Look at this, Exodus chapter six, verse seven. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know, yada, that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. You know how I've come to know God? Because it started with a pastor saying to me, wouldn't it be great if God could lift off all the burden of sin and shame off your back? Would you pray this prayer with me, Paul? And I said, yes. And then after that, he said, Paul, what you're involved in is too dangerous, too deadly, and too destructive. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. If God could fill you with his power and enable you to be able to face the challenges you had, would you face those challenges with him? And I said, I would. And then he said, how about going back to school since you dropped out? And I said, Give me a couple of minutes on that one. And then I said, okay, and I went back there. And then he said, boy, Paul, it would be great if you went to Bible college. And I said, sure, and I went to Bible college. And then the, the, the Lord said, why don't you, why don't you get your, your master's degree? And then why don't you get your doctoral degree? And why don't you teach at a Bible college? And why don't you pastor a church? And it's the dirtiest trick he ever pulled on me. I ended up wanting to leave at 16 from school, and I've been going to school my whole life. I'm not... I'm not I just got to be honest, I'm not the smartest man in the room, but I usually know who the smartest person is and I can always call him. Uh, I don't know if any of you have noticed the beautiful addition to our church, but Clara is here with Boaz. Why don't you stand up? I just want to display this beautiful, beautiful woman of God. Why don't you give the princess wave, the British wave, hello, hello. And uh, she's been here with us for some time, and they came over our house, and I, I always, I, I just said, have, have you ever seen snow? And she goes, no, but I look very forward to it. <laughs> That's a terrible Indian accent. And I had one of my friends from Zimbabwe, where Pat's from, from Zimbabwe, who had never seen snow before, and I was there when he saw it for the first time. Now, if I were to ask you to describe to Claire what snow was like, you could say, well, it looks like shaving cream all over the place. But it doesn't feel like shaving cream. It feels like cotton balls, but it's cold. But it's flaky, like cereal. And we could describe it, but the moment that it snows, I want a video clip when you see it for the first time, because once you experience snow and see somebody experience it for the first time, it's amazing. And that's really what God's saying is, be still and experience me. Let me be part of your experience. Let me step into your joys. Let me step into your dreams. Let me step into your sorrows and in your dark hours. A.W. Tozer wrote a book called uh, The Knowledge of the Holy. I think that every believer should read it. It's a little bit deep, but it's very thin. But he says this, he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God 
is the most important thing about us. We live in a parody culture. Someone says, oh, that person's a Christian, and we're instantly like, well, they are a Trump-supporting, right-winged, this, that, and the other thing, and then they instantly throw you into a bag, Christian bag, and roll you up and put you aside, and they're so judgmental, and they're so, my goodness, you, this place is filled with some of the most understanding, loving, caring people I've ever met in my life, and that's not to my credit, that's to yours. But the truth is, is that a lot of people are, and what you think concerning God, sometimes it's reality isn't reality, perception's reality. If you believe in a God who loves you and forgives you of your sin, but is powerless to help you in your daily life and in your difficulties and in your challenges, you'll never invite him and walk with him or ask him to walk into your situations. Think about, think about the three biggest things that are missing from modern day preaching. Leonard Ravenhill said this, immensity, intensity, and eternity. Think about who we're talking about here this morning, who is inviting us to be a walker with God. He is omnipotent, that means omniscient and omnipresent. That means he is all powerful, he is all knowing, and he is, he is everywhere, sees everything. That means that when I come to him to confess, or I come to other people like James says, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other that you might be healed. Like when I do that, I'm, it's not a surprise to God. God knows all things. It, when, when God says that he's eternal and I'm worried about my 401k and how I'm going to survive, God's like, you're going to be with me for all eternity. Hang in there. I've got an inheritance that is going to outbid this world. Don't worry about the S&P 500, the Dow Jones. Don't worry about your 401k. You worry about my kingdom come and my will be done and all these things will be added to you. Stop worrying about tomorrow and spending tomorrow's worries on today. That's, that's what God calls us to, and he wants us to experience and know him. But, I, but the reason why so many of us are still troubled, still seeking, still making little forward progress, is because we haven't yet come to the end of ourselves. We're still trying to give orders and interfering with God's work within us. I realize that sometimes I have a mistaken identity with God. There was a, a woman who had a heart attack and she was in the hospital. And as she's lying on the bed, she dies and she stands before God. And she's, this is it. My life's going to be judged. And the Lord says, nope, I'm going to give you 30 more years go back. And she takes her breath, and she's awake on the operating table. And then she says to herself, 30 years. I'm going to spend $10,000 per decade. She says, listen, I want a tummy tuck. I want a facelift. I want some hair implant. I want, I want, I want to get worked over. And so she gets worked over, and then she walks out from the hospital. Before leaving, she gets all this done. She walks out into the crossway. Boom! And an ambulance hits her. She's standing before God, and she's like, Lord, you told me that I would have 30 more years. Yes, I did, my child. But Lord, what happened? He said, I'm so sorry, I didn't recognize you. <laughs> as funny as that is, and that's funny, I don't care if you're not laughing or not, that's funny. As funny as that is, 
the truth of the matter is, is that sometimes we say we're God's children and we give our life a facelift and we create ourselves in our, in our own image instead of in the image of reflecting what Jesus would want to be, say, and do that he looks at it sometimes and he's like, man, I don't even recognize who you are. I mean, you did this all to be happy, but all you needed to do was follow me. And we pivot. Some of us here are professional pivoters. You've been in church, you call this your church, and the furthest you go is the pew. And God wants and has so much more for your life. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. This is kind of a unique verse, but it's fitting here. We're in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. God is judging the world, and he goes up to everybody, and he says, come in, you who are blessed. I was hungry, you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was sick, took care of me. I was lonely, he visited me. You know what's so funny is, is that the things that Jesus talks about, I thought he'd be like, Paul, you stepped away from college and you started pastoring a church. Oh, you preached those great messages. Oh, you built a great business. Oh, you provided for your children braces and glasses and all of these wonderful things. No, he's not talking about that stuff. You brought world peace and Miss America couldn't even do that. It was practical, wasn't it? What do we say in this church? Find a need and meet it, please. Find a need and meet it. Find a hurt and heal it. Find the joy of serving, because if you find the joy of serving, you'll never want to be served again. It's really, the gospel is so practical. And then he turns to another group, and they, he says, but I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you didn't give me a drink. I was lonely, you didn't visit me. And, and they're like, whoa, 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 before you make this permanent, like, where, when? And he said, when you did this to the least of these, you did it to me. And then he ends the conversation by saying this, I never knew you. Think of that word no. You were into experiencing me, but you wouldn't let me experience you. You wouldn't let the real you let your God have access close enough to change you, close enough that you could recognize his voice close enough. You were so wrapped up in you and just riding the moments of when you needed me and ran in your own direction that you didn't even realize that all I was asking you to do was just so simple, basic, and practical. I don't, I don't even know who you are. You had a facelift, a tummy tuck. You gave the doctor all those orders, but I don't know who you are. I, I just think of that. I just think of that, and I think of Mrs. Rogers, who is five minutes down the road in a nursing home, and she's lonely, and she was responsible for praying in most of the church plants in Merrimack Valley, and she has no one visiting her. And I say to myself, there's got to be somebody in this church who could do it. I look at the security team running around all the time trying to make sure our kids and our sanctuary is safe and we're a safe place, but sometimes the schedule can't be full because nobody's helping. And Paul said it like this, I want to know him. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. Yeah, I want to know him in that spot, but I also want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. 
In other words, my God isn't going to be spiritual Tylenol for me. He's not going to be a cheerleader and spiritual Tylenol and an opportunity. He's not going to be just my promotional agent. I'm going to learn something about Jesus through the difficulty that I go through. This may be a very hard thing for some of you to hear. This isn't a rebuke at all. It's coming from somebody who's done it wrong so many years. Is that I've come to find that in my deepest, darkest hours when darkness is overshadowing me, not because of something inside of me, but because of something outside of me. When pain is overtaking my life, not because I can put the blame fully on me, but when just bad things happen, it's those moments where God is saying, let me experience you and you experience me. I want to know you intimately. I don't, I'm not promising that I'm going to take you out of the trouble, but I promise that I'll work everything together for good for those who love me and are called according to his purpose. Pain hurts. Everybody wants the story of the apostles and all kinds of miracles and stuff, but nobody wants the story of Joseph. And yet, it was through his suffering and rejection and pain and imprisonment and all of those things that God brought him to that one critical moment where he saved the entire world. And if God could do that with Joseph, what, could he, what more could he do with your life if you moved it from a place of pivoting to a place of walking with God? And this is what we're doing communion for this morning. It's that we're making a rededication to say, God, I'm going to follow you, even if it leads to a cross, even if it leads. If you're here this morning when you came in, you didn't have a chance to grab any of the emblems and you'd like them, just stick your hand up, wave, throw a dance move in there. Um, the ushers are moving around here. If there's another basket, and you can, yeah, they're moving all over. This is, this is the crazy thing. In the book of Isaiah, it says that he was bruised beyond human recognition. The hit that Jesus took for us like, you'd look at him and you'd be like, is that a human being? He's just beaten beyond human recognition. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you'll proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I love the Lord. I, I, I would love to have a comfortable life. But what I don't want is a life without him, a life that's out of step with him. And as we partake this morning, we're not just partaking of forgiveness, which Jesus says is, is found in him, but we're partaking of a willingness of brokenness to say, God, teach me what it's like to fellowship with you in suffering. That's a hard thing to do. But the greatest lessons in life don't come from our victories. They come from deep, deep, difficult hours. And I'd say it like this, the way that A.W. Tozer actually saw it, said it. He said, God can never use a man or woman greatly that he hasn't had the permission to allow life to wound them deeply. Jesus will stand forever before us, and while every tear of ours is wiped away and every scar is gone, the Bible says that 
he's recognized as the lamb that was slain because he will forever, for all eternity, be able to look you and me in the face and say, I understand what it is to be betrayed and to suffer unjustly. I bear the marks. I understand. Jesus knows the difficulty you're going through. And we're going to invite him to walk with us in that hour. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we take the bread that was broken for us. And you have set us an example that we might follow in your steps. You didn't promise to take the difficulty out of life. You did promise that if we walk with you, we'll overcome it. You didn't say that everything that happens to us is good, but you did say if we walk with you, you will work it out for good. And to that, we partake of your body today. Let's partake of the bread. Thank you, Lord. This time I'm going to ask Boaz, who's on the keyboards, but also is one of our deacons, to pray for the cup. Jesus, we thank you, God, for your sacrifice. On that night with your disciples, you lift up the cup and you said, this is my new covenant, the blood. Do this as often and in remembrance of me. Father, at this time, we remember the pain, we remember the sacrifice. At the same time, we remember the power of your blood, the healing, Lord Father, and the gift of salvation. As we take in, Lord Father, God, declare the freedom and the healing, Lord Father, God. And we bless your name and glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's partake the cup. Here's what I'd like to do as we close. If you're here today and you're saying, I want a deeper walk with Jesus, or I want to take a step into coming to know him, I'd like someone to pray. I'm going to ask any of you that are uh, elders, deacons, pastors, leaders, to make yourself available to pray with people. You're here maybe and you're in a deep, difficult hour of your life and you're like, I need, I need Jesus and I'm just not seeing him. And as they sing this song, I'd encourage you to come forward and find a place to vertically connect with God and people will horizontally connect with you and we're going to pray that, that Jesus would show you how to keep in step with the Spirit and to walk with you through your difficult hour. Amen? So this is it. We're going we're gonna to release you to come forward to pray. We're going to release you to sit and pray. And we're going to release you to slip out if you need to and, and pray. God bless you. What can wash away?